Hello, everyone, and welcome, Summit Church family. Hey, this is our Sunday, May 24th message, and great news, great news. Next Sunday, we're going to be meeting back at our Summit Church building again, and uh, I am just absolutely looking forward to it. It's going to be great, and uh, just looking forward to seeing all of you again next Sunday at at uh, 10 o'clock. It's going to be great. Hey, if you like some information uh, as to what you might expect uh, when we reopen next Sunday, uh, that information can be found on our website. And uh, and we've, we've emailed it out to all of the church members, but uh, if you didn't get it for whatever reason, uh, it's on our website and you might read that. It'll help you, uh, uh, you know, just kind of understand uh, some things that you uh, uh, can expect. Uh, things are just a little bit different. Uh, things will be just a little bit different next uh, next Sunday, you know, with social distancing and all. But uh, but it's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. So uh, just check that information out on the internet, and uh, it'll be helpful to you. Uh, hey, don't forget, I'm, I'm teaching on Wednesdays, uh, uh, and, and and don't miss those Wednesday messages. I've been teaching on the end times, so I want to encourage you to be following along with us there. And don't forget Pastor Diane's messages. She's been putting out some phenomenal uh, uh, messages on, I think she they come out on Fridays, and uh, just wonderful, great, great words of encouragement from her. So be listening to that, and it'll be a great help to you. And don't forget, uh, Pastor Diane is also providing some uh, things on YouTube, some worship material on YouTube with, with, with music and so forth. So uh, be sure to take advantage of that also, okay? Uh, hey, it's our Sunday service, so uh, let's receive the tithes and offerings. The information uh, is uh, found there around where my picture is. We have text to give. Uh, you can uh, give online. You could go to summitchurch.us, or you can still send a check in the mail uh, to our P.O. box. And again, that information is all available to you. So Let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy, and I ask that you would bless the people as they give, and I pray for next Sunday's service. And I just ask that that everything will go smoothly as we all uh, get back together to worship you. And so we thank you for it, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And I trust the Lord will bless you as you give. Hey, I want to also say this again. I want to commend everybody for being faithful in their tithes and offerings. You are to be commended. You know, during this time of social distancing, it's really easy to get disconnected and maybe even kind of put the tithing and the offering on the back burner. But, uh, you know, it's a commitment that we have to the Lord to, uh, you know, and, and to his work. And so I want to commend everybody for being faithful in that. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, let's conclude. We're going to conclude my series today that I've been uh, conducting now, I guess almost not quite from the beginning of the social distancing, but the last many, many weeks on uh, uh, the title of this series has been Who Did It, God or the Devil? And so uh, we've been we've been covering uh, a lot of information about when things happen in the land. You know, who, who's behind it? Is it the judgment of God? Is it an attack of the devil? And so uh, we've been we've been talking about that over the last many many weeks. And so if you've missed any of that, I want to encourage you to go back and you can uh, get get caught up with uh, that information. It's on our uh, YouTube channel. 
Facebook, and uh, even on our church website, okay? But uh, remember our, our text for this was uh, Jeremiah 8, 7, and uh, uh, God said, my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. So I've been trying to just teach you about God's method of operation in judgment so that when things happen, whether it's in your life or in the land generally, you know, in the United States or wherever around the world, you're more able to recognize, you know, it, it, is this the judgment of God? Is it an attack of the devil? It, what is it? So, uh, so I've been covering, uh, uh, you know, this, this material and mostly to just show you God's method of operation and judgment. Remember, God gets blamed a lot of times for things that he, he, he didn't do. And so, uh, hopefully, uh, like I said a while ago, you've learned some things about his, his judgment. Uh, just, just a real quick review. Remember, his method of operation in judgment is he warns before he judges, and then he gives he gives time to repent, and then if there's no repentance, then he brings judgment. And uh, for the last several sessions, we've been talking about how God judges his people. But I want to conclude this series today by looking at God's method of operation at how he judges sinners, people that don't believe on him. And the answer to that is really simple. His method of judgment for dealing with sinners is really the same as, as his method of judgment for, for, for dealing with his children. So, you know, same method of operation. God warns before he judges and he gives time to repent. And then if there's no repentance, then he uh, executes judgment. Uh, and, and so it's just, uh, you, you need to remember that. Uh, uh, and, you know, when he judges judges his children, we talked about the chastening process, you know, uh, uh, that, that he uses. And uh, but 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 still, as he as he deals with sinners, his method really isn't that that different than the way he deals with his children. I mean, he, he's a good and a gracious God. Uh, the, you know, remember, Jesus said he causes it to rain on the just and on the unjust. And so he he warns before judgment. He uh, gives time to repent, and then he brings judgment. He, he doesn't just come on the scene and just, just pop somebody down with judgment. He uh, warns, gives time to repent, and then if there's no repentance, then there's judgment. Uh, and, and, you know, I just I, th- this verse was on my heart. I wanted to share it with you before we go any further. Psalms 103, verse 8. The Bible says, The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And and the Bible reiterates that again and again. So you need to remember that about God because, you know, when you start talking about God's judgment, a lot of times people think God's an old meanie and and, and he isn't, he isn't. We've talked all about that. His, you know, when God judges, you see his great mercy very oftentimes in his judgment, okay? So he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. But hey, uh, what I wanted to do here is I wanted to look at several examples, uh, just like we looked at several examples of how God chastened or judged his children. Well, let's look at several examples of how God judges sinners. And uh, first of all is uh, God's first judgment uh, you know, on sin that we see. Now, of course, he passed judgment on, on Adam and Eve and all of that in the garden. But but you come on down the road in, in the book of Genesis, uh, and you see that uh, 
I, I suppose his first judgment on sin uh, would be Noah and the flood, the time where God judged the earth, you know, and and uh, and, and so the time of Noah. And the, the, the Bible says that the whole earth had grown wicked before the Lord and their thoughts were only evil, con- was typically, uh, not typically, only evil continuously. And, uh, and so God, uh, was going to judge the earth. And, uh, it's interesting, you know, he had Noah build the ark and all of that. But as you look at it, the Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. And, uh, it's interesting that, that God gave all of the people, uh, uh, as you study into it, uh, about 120 years of time to repent. Now, you talk about giving space to repent. Noah, apparently, while he was building the ark, you know, and all of that, he was also preaching and a preacher of righteousness. And anybody who wanted to repent and get on that ark could have done so. But all of the people had grown wicked and their thoughts were evil continuously. And think about that. Uh, For 120 years, Noah didn't get one convert besides, of course, his his family was saved, of course, but nobody responded to his preaching. Think about that. Think about the graciousness of God and and the patience of God and, you know, and the mercifulness of God. And God gave those people all that time to listen to Noah and repent, and they didn't. And so, Ultimately, then God judged them and destroyed, uh, you know, he, he, he destroyed them. Okay. But he didn't just come in there and, and just flood them out on day one. 120 years is a long time. He gave them ample time and they didn't repent. Of course, we could talk about Nineveh. Uh, you could go back. I have a message on, uh, I think it's called Jonah and the fish god. And it's it's in our archives there. But think about Nineveh, a very wicked, evil city. And uh, God sent Jonah, the prophet, in there and preached to them, warned them, and because he was gonna he was gonna destroy the place. God was, but he he sent uh, Jonah in there and uh, preached to them. And uh, it was a message. He said, "Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." And uh, and they repented. And uh, uh, you see, that's that. God doesn't want to have to judge people; He wants them to repent. But uh, but you see how God dealt with with the sinners there in Nineveh. He sent Jonah in and warned them, and and I mean they repented right on the on the spot. I mean, uh, I wish it worked that way all the time. Uh, a lot of times, people don't repent. Hey, let's talk about another one. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Babylon, and uh, you know he uh, he had a dream, and he was the king that you know when you look read the book of Daniel that that Daniel dealt with, you know, and uh, he had a dream that God gave him, warning him about his pride. And in Daniel the fourth chapter, I want to read several several verses. Listen to this. This is what, so he had a dream, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and this is in the New Living Translation, Daniel 4, verse 24. 
This is what the dream means. So Daniel's going to give Nebuchadnezzar an interpretation of the dream. He said, your majesty and what the most high has declared will happen. uh, This is what the dream means. So he starts out. He said, this is what the dream means. So Daniel's interpreting the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, your majesty and what the most high has declared will happen to you, my Lord and and King. So he's going to interpret the dream. He said, you will be driven from human society. And you will live in the fields with the wild animals. Now think about that. You will eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Uh, Seven years will pass while you live this way until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Now think about this. God's going to judge Nebuchadnezzar, but God gives him a dream. Okay. Daniel interprets it. And then Verse 26, the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. See, God, when he judges people, he, his motive is to get people to repent. And then verse 27, uh, Daniel says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Please accept my advice. Stop sinning. And do what is right. You see, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. And then now Daniel's interpreting the dream. And you see, God is crying out in love to Nebuchadnezzar to tell him to repent. And Daniel says, listen to my advice. Stop sinning. Do what's right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. So you see, God warned Nebuchadnezzar, gave him time to repent. But in verse 28, notice uh, uh, it says all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now look at verse 29, 12 months later. So he was given a year to repent. Think about that. He was uh, taking a walk on the flat roof of his royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own might and power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. I think he did not repent, is he? While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You're no longer ruler of this kingdom. Think about that. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven years will pass while you live this way. Until you learn that the most high rules, see, until you learn that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Think about that. Think about that. And uh, the same hour, the judgment was fulfilled. And Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. Uh, He was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was long as eagle's feathers and his nails grew like bird's claws. Think about that. Now, this didn't have to happen to him. God warned him uh, through a dream, through the prophet Daniel, and he gave him 12 months to repent, and he didn't do it. And now he looks, he's in his shape like an animal. Think about that. You know, God can humble people. I'm telling you what, he can, he can do it. You know, God can shut things down in a day if he wants to, or in an hour if he wants to, in a minute if he wants to, in a second if he wants to. You understand? Don't forget, God ultimately is still running things. Always has been, always will be, okay? Uh, I mean, he gives us a choice, all right. I understand all that. But ultimately, God's running things, okay? Don't ever forget that. 
Now, uh, so he lived this way until the hair of his, you know, all of that we read that. Now look at this, verse 34, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned as seven years of this judgment. And I praised and look at that. Now I praised and worshiped the most high and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom and with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. Now think about that. He he repented, and now he's humble, and he's worshiping God. See, that was God's motive. But the thing of it is, he didn't have to go through all that to get to this place. He could have humbled himself and wouldn't have had to look, be like an animal for seven years. But, you know, he was prideful. He wouldn't repent. So God judged him. But look what the motive of God was. God's motive was to get him to repent, which he did. Now, here's another one. That was Nebuchadnezzar. Now, here's another one. Manessa. Manessa. He was the 14th king of Judah, the son of Hezekiah, and he was Judah's most wicked king. And he committed uh, uh, idolatry. He erected altars to Baal, false god. He erected images to Asheroth in the temple. He worshiped the sun, moon, and stars. He recognized the uh, Ammonite god Molech and sacrificed his son to him. It burned children is what they do. Think about evil. He approved of witchcraft and killed all those who protested his his evil actions. And in fact, it's possible and very likely that he had the prophet Isaiah. uh, Rabbinical tradition states that he he had him uh, sawn in two. Some say that he had him placed inside a hollow log and had Manasseh had Isaiah placed in a hollow log and had the had the logs sawn in two. You think about an evil man, Manasseh. And in Second Chron, now watch this, in Second Chronicles 33, verse 10, and the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. And there it is. There's a warning. There's warning. God spoke to Manasseh. God's gracious and he's good. He spoke to Manasseh, but he would not listen. Therefore, now watch this. The Lord brought upon them the captains of the army, the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks. Now you study into this. It was a nose hook, uh, like you put in a fish, you know, a nose hook, a nose ring, a nose hook with a chain on it, nose hook. Think about that. He should have listened to the Lord. This wouldn't have had to happen. God was warning him to repent. He wouldn't repent. So God took him with a, had, had, had the Assyrians rise up again him, take him with a nose hook, bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord, his God. 
and humbled himself greatly before the God of his father. See, that's what God wanted him to do, is repent, be humble. He wouldn't do it. He wanted him to repent from all the wickedness he was doing. He wouldn't do it. God spoke to him. He wouldn't listen. My mother told me this many years ago, and she told me many times. She said, if you won't listen, you're going to have to feel. You know what? She's right. And if Manessa would have listened, he wouldn't have to felt the nose hook and the bronze fetters, but he wouldn't listen. So he had to feel. And um, I remember one time I wouldn't listen to my mother. The only time she ever gave me a spanking, but uh, I'd pushed a little girl over in a swimming pool. I shouldn't have done it. I was wrong. Didn't hurt the little girl. She had hit me in the head with a Folgers can, actually. (laughs) and I still have the scar. I pushed her over. Shouldn't have done it. I was about six years old. (laughs) My mama told me not to do that. Then I did it again, and mama got me with a fly swatter, and I had it coming, so I wouldn't listen, so I had to feel my mother, a great mother. Only time she ever spanked me, but I I had it coming. But see, I wouldn't listen, so I had to feel. And Manessa wouldn't listen, so he had to feel the nose hooks and the bronze fetters. And he went, he was he was in affliction, but he cried out to God, humbled himself greatly before the Lord, and notice, and prayed to him, and and look how good God is. God received his his entreaty, his prayer, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Think about that. God restored him upon repentance. See, that's what God wants people to do, repent. And Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Don't you see the goodness and the graciousness of God in this? Well, I sure do. And, uh, you know, you might say, well, Pastor Terry, you've just been giving us Old Testament examples. You know, God would never do judgment like that in the New Testament. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's go to Acts, the 12th chapter, and notice Herod. uh, This was Herod Agrippa I. And in Acts 12, verse 1, about that time, uh, Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Dangerous thing to harass the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. That's not good. He's a murderer. Herod. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to the four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people at Passover. No question he's going to have Peter executed as well. And then there's a miraculous thing takes place where the angel comes in and and Peter's rescued from prison as a result of the prayer, continuous prayer of the church and all of that. Fantastic stuff. But look at what happened to Herod on, in verse 21. So on a set day, arrayed in royal apparel, he sat on his throne and gave an, uh, he gave a speech. Okay, And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Now you think about that. Now let's think about this. Our our we've been talking about this method of judgment. Do you think God just came in there with Herod and just 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 slapped him down with this? 
with no warning. It wouldn't fit God's method of operation. I I personally believe that that God had been dealing with Herod. And uh, I mean, you know, I just think about like even with Pilate, remember with Pilate, when Jesus was before Pilate, you know, God was dealing with Pilate's wife. Well, anyway, just just something to think about. Boy, God warns, doesn't he? I, I remember, and, and, and Pilate's wife said, don't have anything to do with this righteous man, Jesus. Remember that? I mean, God warns, doesn't he? And uh, I, I, I mean, the Bible doesn't specifically say here that God warned him that, that I can see, but I believe that he must have had to. It's, it's part of God's method of operation. And here's something else. You study into this a little further and read some history on it, you know, uh, though the Bible doesn't state it specifically. But if you go read some of the commentaries and, and whatnot, uh, Herod, it took him five days to die. Now. I'm convinced that if he had repented in that five days, just like with Manasseh or Nebuchadnezzar, if he'd have repented, well, God would have relented. I'm convinced he didn't repent. You know, the Bible typically tells us when people repent. So he wouldn't repent. Five days, he's uh, eaten by worms. He dies. He should have listened. You know, uh, somebody that did listen Saul of Tarsus. Uh, remember Saul? He was persecuting the church, much as what Herod was per- persecuting here. And remember on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appeared to him, that great light knocked him down to the ground. And I'm convinced that Saul was going to die on that road. Absolutely. Just like Herod died. I mean, maybe not the same method, but Saul was a dead man. He was persecuting the church and wasting it, the Bible says. But Jesus appeared to him, and, uh, you know, Saul was given an opportunity, and, 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 and he repented. See, the Bible told us he repented. If he hadn't repented, I'm convinced he was going to be, he was going to, they were going to carry him, carry him in, those guys with him was going to carry him into the city dead, Saul. But he repented. Glory to God and became one of the greatest apostles of all. And God used him to write, I guess, the majority of the New Testament. He became the Apostle Paul. Well, you know, thank God. Why did God knock him down to get his attention? And and uh, he repented and got saved. Too bad, uh, too bad Agrippa didn't, uh, King Herod Agrippa didn't repent. He could have. I'm glad Saul did. He became Paul. Hey, let's go on a little further. Here's another example. Hey, let's talk about Egypt. We're looking at examples of when God judges the world, judges sinners. And remember Egypt and the plagues. Now, we talked about this earlier when I was setting up God's method of judgment. And so I'm not going to go through it all again right now, but I did want to bring something up. God gave uh uh, Pharaoh, you know, warning the 10 plagues of Egypt. He gave him warning. God gave Pharaoh warning after warning, after warning, after warning, opportunity after opportunity, after opportunity to repent. And Pharaoh refused. It cost him his son's life. It cost him his, his own life drowned in the Red Sea. 
But I wanted to get to something here with this 10th plague that you're talking about judgment comes up very often. And people will ask me, what about the destroyer, that death angel? Remember that death angel came through the land? Uh, the Bible calls, it says the destroyer. The New Living Translation calls that, that destroyer the death angel. And I'm sometimes asked about this, so I thought it'd be good as I'm concluding this series to talk about this. Uh, if you've been following me on uh, on Wednesdays with our study on the end times, you see that God has angels that certainly bring blessing and bring provision and, and bring words of great encouragement, and words of direction at times and things like that. But he also has angels which execute judgment. We looked at those trumpet angels and those bowl angels, you know, that blew the trumpets and, and poured out the bowls of God's wrath and the trumpets of God's wrath and all of that. So he has angels that execute judgment. And this particular one is known in scripture as the destroyer, uh, known as the, the, the death angel. And, you know, you think he's evil when you say that, but he's an angel of the Lord. And he executes judgment at the direction of the Lord. Okay. And we see him in operation there in that 10th plague with the death of the firstborn. It's interesting, Exodus 12, 23 says, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood, remember, remember they placed the blood on the doorpost and all the blood of the lamb? When he sees the blood uh, on the lintel and the on the two doorposts, the tops and the sides in the form of a cross, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow or not to permit the destroyer or the death angel to come into your houses to strike you. So thank God through the blood of, you know, they had protection through the blood of the lamb back in the Old Testament in Exodus, but that blood was a type of the blood of the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the lamb of God. As we're, we're born again, receive him as savior with a repentant heart. We get washed in the blood of the lamb and and, and, and we're protected from, 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 you know, going to hell and all of that's really good. But the point here is, is that uh, is that the, the blood of the lamb protected them from this destroyer, this this death angel, and uh, the thing I want to bring out is that this angel is not an evil angel. It's an angel of God. He uses the angel to execute judgment at times. We saw it, as I said here, in the death of the firstborn. But I wanted to point this to you. Point this out to you. He said, "I will not." allow the destroyer. I will not allow the destroyer. I will not permit. You see, God controls this angel. And that's good to know, you know. He won't permit the angel to do anything beyond what God would allow him to do, this death angel. Hey, and, and we see him again. You remember in, I believe it's in 2 Samuel, I know it's in 2 Samuel, there was a situation where we see this death angel again. And uh, remember David had, uh, he had numbered the people. Well, the, first of all, Israel was in sin and God was angry with them. And, uh, and, 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 and as you read 2 Samuel and then you read the parallel account in 
Chronicles. It the one says that God incited David to sin, which we know God wouldn't do. But you study into it, read the parallel account, see the devil was behind it. Okay, so you got to study into the Hebrew there, but because God's not going to incite anybody to sin. But David numbered the people, and that was a sinful thing for David to do. The devil was behind it. You know, some would argue, well, God allowed it to happen. I We've talked about that in an earlier session about God allowing things. So I think I've made myself clear on, on that. But here's the point. The punishment, God gave David three choices. Uh, three years of famine, and some argue it was seven years. So either way, but years of famine. Or three months of fleeing from your enemies are three days of a severe plague. And David chose the three days of severe plague. So it was seven or three years, however you want to, whatever translation you're reading, but many years, several years of famine, three months of fleeing from the enemy or three days of a severe plague. David chose the three days of severe plague. And he said this, he said, he said, because the prophet Gad came to him and, and said, okay, this is what God's telling you, David. You get, I'm giving you three choices. So God gave David three choices. David said, I'm in a desperate situation. He said, let us fall in the hand, into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great. See, even in judgment, God's mercy is great. Do not, not let me fall into human hands because uh, the famine, you know, they would have had to ask people for uh, for food and fleeing from the enemies. They'd have been at the mercy of the enemies, but but a plague, David felt I'm dealing directly with the Lord. So that would be the easiest of the three. Now, I said all that to get back to this, this destroyer here. Second Samuel 24, verse 15. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time. 70,000 men of the people died. And the angel, here's that angel now, stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it. Okay. The Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. Now I'm covering this because this destroyer comes up a lot of times, as I said, when you're talking about the judgment of the Lord. But here's the point. God uh, will only allow this death angel or this destroyer to operate within certain limitations or certain bounds. And at this particular point, God said, it is enough. He said this to the to this angel, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. That's comforting to know that this destroyer is in the hand of God. And God will only allow, I mean, he, he created him, he's responsible for him, and he'll only allow him to operate within certain certain realms, certain limitations or parameters. Uh, and then, well, then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, surely I've sinned, I've done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Well, of course, <laughs> they had sinned. You know, God was angry with them. But I think David was saying, you know, what have they done? They, they weren't the ones that numbered the people I was. And then he said, let your hand, I pray, be against me and my father's house. Well, you know, God did not give David an answer 
as to why he did what he did. And, and you know, God doesn't have to. You know, Psalms 1830 says God is uh, perfect. Says, as for God, his way is perfect. And since God's ways are perfect, then we can trust that whatever he does and whatever he allows is also perfect. Our responsibility to God is to obey him, to trust him, and to submit to his will, whether we understand it or not. And then if you think further about it, David had to live knowing that all those people died as a result of what he did. Think about how bad that is to have to live with that on your conscience. Why did I share all of this? I just wanted to point out to you about this death angel, this destroyer. Um, a lot of people ask about him. What about him? Well, there I, 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 I think I've covered it. I think I've answered it for you. I hope I have. God created him. God uses him as an angel of judgment. But uh, God is responsible for him, and, and there's only certain boundaries that he can operate within. Now, let's close in the time I have left with Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, most people are familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah. We're talking about examples here of God judging sinners. The Lord had two angels come to visit Abraham and had a conversation with him. And among other things, they talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. And then in Genesis, Genesis 18, verse 17, the Lord said to the two angels, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? And the Lord said, verse 20, because of the outcry, see, God was going to do something with Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come up to me. And if not, I will know. Now, of course, uh, people ask me about this. Why did God have to come down and see? Isn't God omniscient, all-knowing? Yes, he's omniscient and all-knowing. But uh, here's the thing. Remember the psalmist said, you know, if I make my bed in hell, thou art there. Well, you know, God's not in hell. Hell, he's in heaven, but his presence is everywhere. And uh, but but in hell, now Jesus Jesus has the keys of hell and of death. He can go in there if he wants to, but uh, uh, but his presence, though God is everywhere, his presence isn't manifested everywhere. Okay, like in hell. And uh, as far as him coming down to check out Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah, God, he's all knowing. Uh, here's an example. It's kind of like a, a bar here in the area, okay? There can be a, a bar in the area. I know it's there. I may have even heard some things that happen in that bar. So I'm aware of it. I know about it, but I choose not to go in there because I don't want to be around that stuff, okay? I think the similar thing here is with God. He's aware of it. He knows about it, but he doesn't manifest himself in that place because think about what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about the sexual sin. Think about the homosexuality, think about that. God doesn't want to look at that. So he, he in some way, he must remove, he, he, though he, he's all-knowing, all right, but he, 
Just because you know about something doesn't mean you have to look at it or be among it. You see what I'm saying? So that's how I would explain that. So he comes down to see. And plus also, too, I think that, you know, in the day of judgment, which I'm going to talk about here in just a moment, in the day of judgment, when Sodom and Gomorrah is judged, uh, God is so righteous and so fair and so just that I believe that, that when that time comes, he wants to tell them, hey, you know, I, I came down here. I sent my angels in there to look at it. And we have firsthand record of, of what was going on in there. Okay. So that being said, I just thought I'd uh, try to explain. So I will go down and see if what they've done is altogether as bad as, as, you know, let me just read it. I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come up to me. And if not, I'll know. Then the men, the angels, turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Now, verse 23 of Genesis 18. And Abraham came near and said, now watch this. Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spirit for the 50 righteous that were in it? And remember, we talked, I taught you earlier, God doesn't judge the righteous with the wicked. But you see, Abraham's beginning to intercede for Sodom. This is what God wanted. This is what God wanted. As evil as Sodom and Gomorrah was, I believe God wanted to spare him just like he spared Nineveh and and Manasseh and Nebuchadnezzar and Herod, Agrippa. I don't believe God wanted to fire and brimstone him. He wanted somebody to pray for him and intercede. And watch this. So he said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous. Would you destroy the place and not spirit? And far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. See, this is Abraham talking to God. So that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all this earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And then, of course, Abraham continued on, you know, 40 righteous, 30 righteous, 20 righteous, 10 righteous. He stopped at 10. God said, if I can find 10 righteous, I'll not destroy the city. And God goes back to heaven and angels go into the city. I want to call your attention I said just a moment ago, this is what God wanted. He wanted Abraham to intercede. Now watch this. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. So I sought for a man, God speaking, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. That's what God wants. He wants people to stand in the gap to pray for the sinner so that he doesn't have to destroy him or destroy him. That's what he wanted Abraham to do, stand in the gap so God didn't have to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, as evil as the cities were. And, 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 and Abraham did that, and he stood in the gap for Sodom and Gomorrah and talked God down all the way to 10. Now, why he didn't keep going below 10, I don't know. And uh, But God sought for a man 
who would make a wall, who, a man who would stand in a gap before him on behalf of the land that he should not destroy it. But in this case, in Ezekiel, he said, I found no one. That's sad. That's sad when there's nobody to pray. Well, I know we've got a bunch of people that pray at Summit Church, and we've got a bunch of people in the land in the United States that pray, and even around the world. Christians, you know. And I know there's a there's a number of them at Summit Church. Uh, and then verse 31, therefore I've poured out my, ind- because he found nobody to intercede, he said, I've poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. See, he brought judgment because he couldn't find anyone to intercede and stand in the gap. You see God's method of operation. And, and back with Sodom, he was looking for somebody to intercede for him. He found Abraham. He interceded and almost almost pulled it off. But the angels went in the city and uh, couldn't find any righteous other than Lot. And his family, and we know what happened to Lot's wife on fleeing the city. She looked back, was turned into a pillar of salt. But it's interesting, the Bible says that God removed Lot and his family, but Lot is called in the New Testament righteous Lot. You look at Lot's life, there were some things in his life that weren't too righteous. He was going to give his virgin daughters to the sinful men of Sodom. Think about that, so that they wouldn't harm the angels. Much we could say about that, but he was righteous because he was a believer in Almighty God, Father, Son, the Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit. That's why he was righteous, okay? He was a believer. And it's interesting, the angel said to Lot, I can do nothing here. I cannot bring judgment here to Sodom and Gomorrah, until you are removed, putting it in own words, until you're out of this place. And God removed righteous Lot and his family. He removed them. And that's how I want to end this series. God removed the righteous before he judged the wicked. And he didn't want to have to judge the wicked. He, he had Abraham pray and intercede but couldn't even find 10 righteous. And and God fire and brimstone the place and leveled it. Nothing left. But he didn't want to have to do that, I'm convinced. Revelation chapter 20 is the ultimate judgment on sinners. It's called the great white throne judgment. I'm going to talk about it as I conclude my series this Wednesday on the end times, but I think it needs to be mentioned now. This is the judgment on sinners at the end of the millennial millennial reign of Christ. The great white throne judgment is for sinners. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. We've talked about that in another series. But uh, judgment seat of Christ for believers, the great white throne judgment is for sinners. All those from the time of the Garden of Eden all the way over all the millennia of time, all the people who have rejected Jesus Christ, neglected to receive him or said, I don't need him, these sorts of things. They'll stand before God at this great white throne and watch what happens. Revelation 20, verse 11, John says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from those 
uh, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. The books were open. The books were open. I wonder if in that those books on Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, if it'll be recorded, two angels came into the city. And, 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 and you know, a list of what they saw. Wouldn't surprise me. The, the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. Now, these are the lost dead, those that rejected Jesus. They were judged according to their works. See, they said the work of Christ on the cross was not good enough. They didn't need it. They standing on their own works. Dangerous thing to stand based on your own works before God as it pertains to salvation. And by the things which were written in the books, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades or hell delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged. God is a God of graciousness and mercy, but he's also a God of judgment. He judged each one according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And I personally, personally believe that when this happens, God does it with I personally think not with smoke coming out of his nostrils, but tears rolling out of his eyes. I believe this is a day that God dreads. Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God is the judge of all the earth, and he'll do right. We may not understand all of what he does or why he does things at times. We may not understand it all. Like with that destroyer I talked about a while ago, we may not understand it all. But know this. That whatever God does, he's the judge of the earth. He's the judge of you and me. He's the judge of everyone. And he will do right. Hey, I hope that this has blessed you, this series. I hope that uh, you better understand the judgment of God now and his method of operation. And that when you see something happening in the land, whether it's the coronavirus or whatever it is, you'll be able to say, hey, you know, this 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 looks like, uh, you know, an attack of the devil or something else might happen. You say, well, this looks like, you know, it's the judgment of God. It matches his his uh, his method of operation. Let me just say this. If you look at the coronavirus, you know, it it it, it doesn't really match. God's judgment uh, method of operation for judgment. I've said this all all along. I do not believe that the coronavirus is the judgment of God, but I do believe He's using it as an occasion to get all of our attention. And now, as we're coming to a close of this social distancing, and it's starting to the restrictions are starting to be eased. 
my hope and my prayer is, is that I'm speaking to Christians now, that Christians will keep the word, keep the word of God in the house of God first. And when, you know, the weather's real pretty on Sunday morning, that they'll go to church first. You know, follow what I'm saying. I hope I hope that there's been re- there will be repentance in the land, and uh, that we don't go back to the just you know. Well, we'll get around. Uh, I'm talking not just Summit Church. I'm talking about churches in the United States that that God will be first Sunday mornings. I wonder if things are going to stay shut down on Sundays, and uh, and the and 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 it'll be the day of the Lord as it should be. I wonder what we're going to find out, aren't we? Hey, we just read about if your name's not written in the book of life, that you're going to wind up in the Bible says that lake of fire. God doesn't want you in that lake of fire. That's why I sent Jesus to the cross. And uh, all you have to do is with a repentant heart, receive Jesus as your savior. Just bow your head right there. Bow your head, and if you mean this, you'll get saved. You'll miss this lake of fire. You'll make heaven when you die. God will make your life worth living in the meantime. Say, say, God in heaven, I repent of my sins. I turn to you. I receive your son, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. I believe that you died on the cross for me. You were buried and you were raised from the dead on the third day. And now I'll live for you the rest of my life. Be my Savior, be my Lord. In your name I pray, amen. If you did that, you meant it. You got born again. Hey, let us know. Uh, go to our website, summitchurch.us, and, and uh, contact me. Let me know that you got saved. I'll rejoice with you, okay? Hey, we'll see you this uh, next Wednesday to finish my series on end times, and then we'll look forward to seeing everybody next Sunday at Summit Church. Okay. I love you all. I really do. God bless you. Okay. Bye-bye.